Good morning, everybody. Welcome to True Life Church. My name is Alex Group. I am the creative pastor here at True Life. Would you all help me welcome anyone who is a first-time guest or who is watching online? Thank you for being here with us this morning. I also want to give a quick shout-out to the tech team. The tech team does so much that goes unnoticed unless they make a mistake. Like, it might take Jared a while to get the TV out here because I misspelled a word in my notes and he had to fix it right at the last minute. So thank you, tech, for all you guys do. You're amazing. Now, I didn't want to bring this up, but Michael's Chiefs beat my Ravens in the AFC Championship game, so he forced my hand. Did anyone notice he, he looked quite a bit older this morning? Did you guys notice that? Pastor Michael had a birthday yesterday. Let's give it up for our pastor, show him some love and some honor. We are going to be jumping into week two of our relationship series, and today we're going to be talking about re-engaging. Now, how many of you out there believe that relationships can be easy? You see some hands? Not a whole lot of hands. So I believe that they can be, but not all relationships. I have a relationship, my, my buddy Chris, our relationship is built entirely around our fandom of soccer, particularly the US men's national team. And if you know anything about our national team, you know we are not exactly a powerhouse, and so we're a little bit trauma bonded in our fandom of the US men's national team. But our relationship is solely based around soccer. Like during the World Cup, we are texting like a high, school, high schoolers who are in the first week of their relationship. We're just firing things off all the time. Constant, constant communication. When there's no soccer, there's no anything else. Like I firmly believe if Chris found out I lost a job, he would be like, hey bro, sorry about the job. Hope this highlight of a bicycle kick cheers you up. And we're right back to soccer, right? All soccer, all the time. And and you probably all have some form of relationship like that, like that, right? Like maybe it's someone at work who you're like, oh yeah, we're friends, but you're like, if I never saw them at work, I would never see them again. You know, we all had that best friend, Bob, at work, and then five years, you're like, I wonder whatever happened to Bob. I just, that guy disappeared. Bob just got a new job, and you were never friends with Bob, right? You just hung out at work. And that's okay. It's okay to have those types of relationships. But who knows that meaningful relationships take some work, right? Like, if you're going to be in a meaningful relationship with somebody, you're going to need to work on it. And so I have this fear. Oh, sorry, I forgot this. That is not my fear. This is actually a really cool event. Uh, on March 23rd, which is the week before Easter, we will be doing our special needs egg hunt right here at the church. Um, if you would like to serve with us, please go to truelife.church slash serve team. It's an incredible event. We hand out candy. We normally have like an ice cream truck that's for free. And all those things are cool, but who knows the win is not the free candy and the free ice cream. It's just a great bonus. The real win is that we get some underserved people who get to come to the church and we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus by showing them that they are remembered and cared for and that we love them and we're here to serve them, right? Absolutely, it's an incredible event. So if you can, I encourage you to sign up 
there's all sorts of things you can do. Like if you're capable of placing candy in a bag, you are qualified to serve at the egg hunt. Right? And then there's other things you can do. Like you can be a buddy, you can go around with a family and help. It's so much fun. There's smiles on everyone's faces. And that's just those of us who are serving, who are skimming candy off the top. But the kids, like, they have huge smiles. They really enjoy it. So come hang out with us. But here's my fear, that in our current time, you know, with all the ways we can connect to each other, is that in a time when we've never been more connected, we have never been less engaged. Right, like, we can connect through so many ways. Preparing for this message, I decided to look at my Facebook and see how many friends I have. And I have like 900 some friends on Facebook. In real life, I don't know that there's more than 25 people who even like me, much less are friends with me. All right, so my, my numbers are a bit boosted there. And, and it's cool because we get to see stuff we wouldn't otherwise see. My, my wife and I, the summer before we got married, she spent the entire summer in Zambia working at an orphanage, helping teach women to sew so that they could have jobs and they could create some money for themselves so that the orphanage could become self-sustainable. I was there for about two weeks doing some service projects. And some of the students, some of the kids who were there, I'm friends with on Facebook. And it's cool because otherwise I would have been there and I never would know what happened to them. We're connected, but we're not super engaged, right? They live on the other side of the world. We don't often interact. But I can see that, oh, these, you know, they've grown up, they've gone to college, they've moved out on their own. We're connected, but not super engaged. In fact, there's rising popularity in a phenomenon known as parasocial relationships. Have you guys heard of paranorm or parasocial relationships? So a parasocial relationship, here's how it's defined. A parasocial relationships are one-sided relationships where one person extends emotional energy and interest and time, and the other party, the persona, is completely unaware of the other's existence. Parasocial relationships are the most common with celebrities, organizations such as sports teams, or television stars. So how many of you are gonna tune in tonight to see your favorite couple, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? Right, like, I don't get it, but I know a lot of people who are super interested. I drive around all the time for work, so I listen to a lot of podcasts, and, and podcasts are a cool conversational piece where I feel like I know these people, and if I were ever to meet them in person, I'd have to be like, Alex, be cool, you don't actually know them, right? Like, don't go up and like say the most personal thing, and they'll be like, oh, hey, stranger, right? Like. That's a parasocial relationship. But my fear is that in a time when we're so connected, we've actually started to engage in parasocial relationships with people that we should be in real relationship with. Right, like we, we live vicariously through Facebook and Instagram. We see what's going on, but we only see what they choose to put out there. Right, like I, I have a guy that I'm in a bit of a parasocial relationship with. I've met him, he works at my company. Um, he's a much bigger deal than I am, doesn't take much, but much bigger, much bigger deal. And so he posted the other day, he was like, fun with my kids at the park, swiped to see real life, and we swiped, and it was just his daughter crying, right, that she didn't want to go home. 
Like, how many of you have done something special for your kids only for them to ruin it by crying, like, immediately? If you're a parent, you've been there. Um, maybe it's a friend who's ruined it. So you're like, oh, man, this is so cool, and just right away, they hate it. Um, but we only see what people put out there for us to see. So we often get a highlight reel. Or maybe it's something that they don't want to connect emotionally with so many people, so we, we'll put out bad news on there as well, right? Like, change my relationship status to broken up, because I don't want to have to go to individuals and say, yeah, the relationship ended. Like, that's too tough to do. So we'll put that out there, and, you know, you might see it, and you might give a little hug emoji or a little heart emoji, but it's not real interaction. It's parasocial. See, we were created for so much more. We were created to be in relationship. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, said, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So Michael spent some time on this last week, so I don't want to spend too long here. But, but as, as humankind has been created, as God has already created Adam, he looks at Adam, and Adam's naming all the animals, and, and everyone has a pair except for him. And God looks at him and says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he made a partner. We see more evidence of this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. It said, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so we can see here that one relationship between mankind wasn't enough. God told us to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth with people, to rule it and subdue it, to go from one relationship between Adam and Eve to many relationships, right? All of a sudden, there wasn't just a relationship between one man and one woman, but there were father-son relationships. Mother, son, father, daughter, mother, daughter, brother, sister, brother, brother. All these new relationships were created as we were fruitful and multiplied. But you can also see in verse 27 that God created mankind in his own image. Right? There's something special about man that God imparted to us. We see it not just in that we were created, but in how we, how we were created. In Genesis 2, verse 7, says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And so God, if you read through Genesis chapter 1, God spoke the world into existence. Let there be darkness. Let there be light. Let the stars fill the skies. And I don't think there's any, I think God can create us however he wanted Right? Like, I don't think it's more powerful that he formed us with his hands than him speaking something into existence, but I do think it's much more personal that God crafted mankind with his hands. Right? Like, I love a free meal as much as anybody, and I'll take it from anywhere, but it's, it's really special when someone spends the time, it's a homemade, maybe it's their own personal recipe that they've made for you. They crafted it just for you. So God gave us something special. He gave us what theologians call Imago Dei, which just means the image of God. 
We are image bearers of God. No other creature holds that distinction. He crafted us by hand, gave us the distinction that we are made in the same image as him. See, we serve a triune God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in and of himself is a relational being, and he created us to be in relationship with him and to be in relationships with others. So if we were made to be in relationship with each other and with God, why is it so easy for us to feel like we're alone? I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been there. Going through life and you just feel like, I'm connected to so many people, but when something is actually going on in my life, I don't know who to reach out and call. Of course, there's so many reasons that can happen but I think they fall into a couple different categories. The first is this. Disengaging is passive and engaging is active, right? It's so much easier to do nothing than something. Are there any procrastinators in the room, right? It's so much easier to just not do a thing than to actually do a thing, especially if there's no timeline on it. Right, like if there's not something that's due tomorrow, call this friend before tomorrow. It's easy to just brush it off. I'll do that next week. I'll do it later. It, it's harder to just pick up the phone and call, send a text. See, I said earlier that my fear is a time when we've never been more connected, that we've never been less engaged. Here's another way to describe that. Convenience leads to laziness, right? We live in a time when we've never had easier access to God or people. I have some friends in the room who would be willing to test this, so I put my phone on airplane mode. But if someone were to send me a text right now, my phone, which is right here, keeping time for me, would light up, my iPad would light up, and my watch would light up. There's ways to get a hold of me. Like, it's, it's pretty hard for me to miss you if you're reaching out. We have easy access to people. We also have direct access to God. That didn't used to be the case. I was reading Leviticus chapter 16 in preparation for this message. And Leviticus 16 goes through what it took for the high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies. See, the Holy of Holies was a part first in the tabernacle and then in the temple where God dwelled on the earth in the Ark of the Covenant. And there were very specific rules on how we get there. In fact, it was so serious that this chapter is explaining the rules after Aaron lost two of his sons who entered the Holy of Holies inappropriately. So here's the steps we had to take in the Old Testament for direct access to God to get into the Holy of Holies. First, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. You had to be a Levite. But that wasn't enough. You had to be a descendant of Aaron himself. The priesthood came from Aaron. Had to be on a specific day. Had to be on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. It's the Old Testament. Things start to get weird here. You had to bring a bull for a sin offering. 
You had to bring a ram for a burnt offering. You had to put on sacred linen tunic. You had to put on linen undergarments. My guess is they enjoyed this. I don't think they were wearing linen day in and day out. This was probably a great day for the priest when it was linen undergarment day. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. I was starting to feel real awkward. (laughs) Then you had to tie a linen sash around yourself and put on a linen turban. And I stopped here because it's an entire chapter. There was ceremonial washing that had to take place. There were specific things that you would do with the sacrifice. The the priest would not just make a sacrifice for himself, but a sacrifice for the people. So if I was a person who wasn't a descendant of Aaron, I wasn't a Levite, I never had direct access to God on earth. It always came through someone else. Here's the steps for direct access to God after Jesus' death on the cross. Pray. End of list. That's all we have to do. Right? After Jesus died on the cross, he gave us access. The veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the inner sanctuary was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross, giving us all direct access to him. 1 Timothy 2.5 says it like this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who is himself God, came down, lived a perfect life, died as our sacrifice, giving us direct access to the throne room. Now we can simply kneel down and pray. We can join the band as they lead us in worship with direct access to the throne room of God. We have access whenever we want. We don't just have access to God the person, we have access to his word. See, there was a time when to have access to God's word, you had to be lucky enough to have access to a scroll where it was written down. That, that would be a, a priest or, or a king. The common people had no access to the word of God, and they often would have lacked the ability to read it anyway. And then with the invention of the printing press, Bibles are now available in stores all over the world. Beyond that, most of you have a phone like this where you can simply download an app for free that gives you access to God's word. You can get access to it whenever, wherever, all the time. It's never been easier. I also thought through, man, it it must have been much harder back in biblical times to get a hold of your friends, right? Like it's pretty easy for us now. So here's ways to find your friends in biblical times. You had to go and find your friend. You're just like walking around. Hey friend, it's me. Where are you? Uh, I was at a, a family gathering yesterday and my kids and nieces and nephews were playing hide and seek. That's what it was like, right? Please come out. You could have enough money where you could pay someone to go and find your friend. It was the same thing, just you didn't have to do it. They would go and do it for you. Or you could just sit still and hope that your friend found you. Right? Like, I'm just going to sit here, throw out the vibes. They'll come looking for me. It's a lot easier right now. Here's ways to find your friend now. You can call. If you're younger than 30, I promise you your phone works as a way to speak to people directly. <laughs> you can text. 
You can use social media. How many of you have ever been texting someone on the phone while sending memes back and forth on Instagram or something? Right, like there's ways to get a hold of people. And finally, you can use an app that shows you exactly where your friends are and you can just show up. If you're over 30, I agree with you, it's super weird. I don't like that, I don't even share my location with my wife. She doesn't need to know I'm at a pizza place on a Tuesday, that's between me and God. See, it's so easy to take for granted the things we don't have to work for. If, if you're a parent, how, have you ever done that thing where you, you really want to get your kids like a great Christmas or birthday gift and you put a lot of thought, time, and effort into it, and three days later, it's like it's unwrapped, but there's still plastic around the, the gift you got them. They just don't care at all. And you're like, oh, man, I, I thought they were going to care. They don't care. But then one morning, they wake you up and they say, Mom and Dad, it's time to do a fundraiser at school, and I really care about the stuffed animal I will receive if I get email addresses to help raise money for school. And so if you're like me, you just don't want to do everything for your kids. You don't want to hand it to them, so they have to call Grandma, Grandpa, Aunts and Uncles and ask for email addresses. And then they come home with the same toy everybody else has. There's nothing special about it. And it's the best thing they've ever had in their life. Right? Frustrating as a parent, but for the kid, when you had to go and work for it, it matters more to you. It's so easy to take things for granted that we don't have to work for. Here's another reason we disengage. Lack of proximity leads to a lack of a relationship. This can happen both physically or emotionally. If you've been to college, you probably had this experience where you showed up early for freshman orientation, and at the end of the first day, your parents called, and you're so pumped because you just met your new lifelong friend, Nathan. He's now your best friend in the world. You signed up to do all the same outings together. Like the next four days of freshman orientation, you've got your best friend and you're like, I, I was so worried that I wasn't gonna have friends at school. I came to school, I found my best friend. And then after orientation, you realize that you guys don't have any classes together. And then three years later, you walk by and you're like, I can't remember that guy's name, but I'm pretty sure he was my best friend. Right, like you think you're, when you're around each other all the time, it's a great relationship, you get along great, but when you lose that proximity physically, the relationship fizzles out. If you haven't had it at orientation, you've probably had it at work or church or school, where you're around someone all the time and so it's so easy to make plans and you love that person, it's not that you don't value the relationship, and just when that proximity changes, if you're not intentional about maintaining that relationship, it just sort of goes away. You can also it can also happen emotionally. Now, how many, how many of you have been married and there used to be a regular date night? And then as the kids get older and their soccer practice and, and dance and all the things, your relationship goes from a real meaningful, intimate connection, emotional connection, to like you guys just happen to be administrators at the same business, it's the business of your family. And all your conversations are around, well, 
all right, well, if you take her there, I can take him there. Um, I guess we'll just like order pizza that night because neither of us can be home. It's all about who's gonna cook dinner, who's gonna get this person there. And before you know it, you don't have much of a relationship, right? You're just planning things together. The second reason we disengage from relationships, oh, sorry, Proverbs 20, I made the same mistake in the first service. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. See, it's not simply good enough to exist around each other, right? Two pieces of iron in the same room don't sharpen one another. There has to be that connection, you know? They have to, they have to touch each other. You have to have that connection for iron to sharpen iron. The second reason we disengage from relationships is the relationship has been damaged and we don't know how to fix it. Now, this can happen both in our relationships with God and with people. We're gonna start with people. Now, as a disclaimer, there are relationships that are toxic and unsafe where you should not re-engage. In situations of physical or sexual abuse, violence, and relationships of repeated manipulation and broken trust where there are no signs of change, and I mean change, not remorse, because a manipulator will show remorse immediately and never change their behavior. In situations like that, you need to put up strong boundaries, including severing the relationship if that's what's best. That may not be a comprehensive list of all the reasons, but what I'm not telling you is to engage with unhealthy people in unhealthy relationships. What I'm hoping, praying you'll do, is push back the hurt that happens in all relationships. Right? Every relationship between people involves people. And as a wise ginger pastor preached last week, people are a trip. Right? Like, we just all make mistakes. I say it like this. I can't promise I'll never let you down, but I can promise I will let you down at some point. Right? Whether I mean to or not. No matter my intentions, and sometimes I have bad intentions. Sometimes things just slip my mind or I'm too self-centered and too self-focused to be a good relational partner with you. Whatever the reason is, I am going to let you down at some point. And you're going to let someone down at some point. Relationships require forgiveness. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. See, we have to offer the same forgiveness that we've been given. The other thing that happens is sometimes we just feel like I'm too much of a mess, right? Like I have too much going on. I, I'm just bringing the other person down. Or maybe there's, there's so much disharmony in a relationship that, that you need to separate for a period. And I get that but you can never heal a relationship in isolation, right? Like you can and should work on yourself, but the relationship will never be healed while you're not in it. 
it has to be fixed in the context of that relationship. At some point, you have to come back together. You have to get over the hurt. You have to apologize. You have to be humble enough to forgive the person. You have to fix a relationship in the context of a relationship. The other thing is our relationship with God can be damaged, and we don't know how to fix it. This is often the result of sin in our lives. We, we know that repeatedly we fall short and we don't live up to what God has for us, what we know we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. And so we just kind of take a step back and all of a sudden we feel like, I don't feel that connected to God anymore. So you remember verses like this, Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. But we forget that it goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're feeling separated from God, if you feel like you just don't live up to the standard that he has for you, I have good news. God's love and forgiveness was never dependent on us. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to live among us, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross so that we could have a way back to him. It never was dependent on me. I'm a real estate agent for a living. And so when I'm, when I'm writing an offer on behalf of a buyer, here's, here's what we do. It's not like this special form that says offer. We just take the contract for a house and we fill it out with the terms that we would like. We would like to pay this much money. We would like to settle on this date. We would like to do these inspections. We would like you to leave this. We don't want you to leave this. Please get this out of here, right? And we just fill it out and, and the buyer signs it. And then we send it off to the seller for them to review, and they can reject it, or they can sign it. And if they sign it, now we're under contract, meaning we, we as the buyers, we will give you this much money on this date, and on that date, you accept the money, and you give us the house, and then you get away. You don't come back, right? That, that's how a contract most often works. But with God, we have a one-way contract. It doesn't depend on us. I didn't want to bring up the verse for, for time, but in the Old Testament, Abram, before he becomes Abraham, God makes a covenant with him. And the covenant God made with Abram is that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and that his descendants would inherit this land. And again, Old Testament, so things are weird. In the Old Testament, covenants would often work, they would bring some animals, they, they would slaughter them and, and separate them, and they would kind of make a path with half of each animal on, on one side, the other half on the other. And, and they would walk through it together, and that was the sign that we are now in covenant together. But when God made that covenant with Abram, God passed through on his own, saying, Abram, there are no terms that you have to live up to in this contract, this is entirely dependent on me. That's how much God loves us. It doesn't matter what you do. God loves you enough to provide a way back. He's given it to you. It's yours if you receive it. See, the other thing that can happen in our relationship with God is, is not sin, but we know that God is all-powerful and he's in control, 
and something happens in our life that we just can't understand. Right? Maybe, maybe it's a diagnosis you've got. That you just don't know, God, why is this happening to me? I know you can heal me. Why don't you take this from me? Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. There, there are so many things that it could be, but we just don't understand, God, why are you letting this happen to me? And it's often exacerbated by, by well-meaning Christians who will come and they'll say, hey, brother, it's just in God's will. He's going to use this for his glory. And you're like, I don't understand. I can't think about his glory right now. I have too much pain. I have four kids, and I, I try to be the kind of dad that I'll let them ex explain things to me. It's not, I said this, and that's law. Like, sometimes we have to set the boundaries and say this is how it's going to be. But I try to hear them out. A couple years ago, um, my son Ewan, who's seven, eight years old, something like that, and we, we had something that had come between us. I don't remember what it was. Um, and he, he was mad at me. And so he came to me um, in private and said, Dad, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really mad at you. And so I was trying to be understanding, and so I said, okay, pal, well, like, what's making you so mad at me? And he goes, it's just... It's just your entire personality. <laughs> Ouch, don't know that I'll be able to fix that one quickly, but I'll get to work. And so although it wasn't specific, I actually really loved that instead of acting angry, he came and told me like, Dad, I'm angry. And it's your fault, like you're being super annoying. And I'll be honest, like sometimes I can be annoying, right? Like, they'll be like, Dad, can we start screens early? I don't know, can you ever clean your rooms? Like, that's obnoxious behavior for me. Not that they don't need to clean their rooms, but I don't have to be a jerk, right? And so God is not a jerk, but we often don't understand. And so here's what I hope for you, that if you're not ready to pray, God, your will be done, that you would go to him and you would tell him exactly why you're angry. That you would tell him exactly how you feel that rather than praying a Sunday school prayer that you don't actually mean, you would pray a Job prayer. See, Job had so much taken from him. He, he lost his wealth, he lost his livestock, he even lost some of his children. And in Job 13, starting in verse 20, he talks to God. And he said, only grant me these two things, God, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer. Or let me speak and you reply to me. How bold was Job to go before God and say like, God, you're, you're actively bothering me and I need you to stop and then I'll stop hiding from you. And, and God answers Job later. But here's the thing, we don't serve a weak God who can't hear that we're angry at him. You're not gonna hurt his feelings. I can't promise you'll ever know exactly why something happens, but what I can promise is we serve a God who will lovingly bring you back to a place where you can trust him, even if you don't entirely understand. So what do we do if you find yourself alone? needing to re-engage in relationships. 
first, I have some good news. Restored relationships are at the very heart of God. You see, we used to be in perfect relationship with God. God created us to be in relationship with him and with each other, and it was perfect. And then through our sin, that relationship was severed and separated. And there is a consequence to sin. And that consequence is the broken relationship. That consequence for women was pain in childbirth and for men that we would, we would toil and have to work. But before God ever came and doled out the consequences, when he came down to find Adam and Eve in the garden and they were hiding from him and they were ashamed for the very first time, he had every right to be angry because he had been perfect and we let him down. Before he revealed the consequences, he gave us a path home. Genesis 3.15. This is something that theologians call the Proto-Evangelion or the first gospel. God comes down and he speaks to the serpent and he promises us a way back. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And that heel strike would be that Jesus would come to the earth and he would die. His heel would be struck. But that in three days he would rise victorious over sin and death, crushing Satan's head, giving us a path back to our loving father that we did not earn. It's a free gift. God wants us in relationship with him and with each other so much that he gave his son to die so that we could have it. I pray we have the courage to take it and to be in relationship. So what are some practical ways to re-engage? First, you need to be intentional. I recently started a real estate coaching with a new coach, and as a part of my first assignments, I have to do what they call the perfect week, which is I have to fill out not only what I'm gonna do, but when I'm gonna do it. It's a calendar in half hour increments. And so I have to be intentional with my time because no one tells me what I have to do when. Like I can take tomorrow off if I want, and I can take the next day off, and I can keep going, and then eventually I will have no money and it will be bad. So I have to be intentional about what I do for work. And so on my perfect week, the half hour period between when I wake my oldest kids up for school and between when we leave for school, I have that time with God. Because for me, if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't exist. I encourage you to be intentional about the time you're gonna spend with God. When are you gonna do it? Where are you gonna do it? What are you gonna do? We also have to be intentional, intentional about the relationships we maintain. Get back into that weekly date night. My wife and I used to have an agreement that Tuesday nights belong to her and Thursday nights belong to me. Meaning Tuesday, dinner, my responsibility. Kids, my responsibility. The night is yours, baby. Go and do what you want with your friends. You don't have to ask my permission. That is available to you. We are intentional about that. 
Same thing for me on Thursdays. I would come here to worship practice, and then I could go, we could go out to Chili's, Applebee's. I can go hang out with my friends, whatever it is I want to do. I have that time in my week where I can connect relationally. For some of you, it's just joining a small group. Our small group semester just started. If you're a man, you got to come to the men's group. It's awesome. Sunday nights, we meet, and it's great. We have, like, the only group text I enjoy being a part of is with the men's group. If you're a woman, I think the women's group is full, so just find another, another small group. See, we're, we're in a bit of a competition with the women's group. I don't even think they know they're in it and they're still beating us. So dudes, we need you, man. Come, come hang out. I think we still have them by weight, but not in number of people. Number two, find ways to show up. Past month to six weeks have been a very tough time for me. Last Friday, I lost my grandmother. It was really as great as it could have been. She was 100 years old and lived on her own up until about a month ago. She was an incredible woman who was an incredible example. And I just wanted to spend as much time with her as possible. And so my wife and I, our, our two older kids, they go to a school where the bus doesn't come to our house. We had to get them there. And so our friend Lacey does a carpool with us, and so does her ex-husband. And they split custody, so they just trade off weeks um, about who's doing it. So last week, my grandmother's, or two weeks ago, the last week of my grandmother's life, I just wanted to be there. And my friend Lacey sent me a text, and she said, hey, just sign up for every afternoon pickup. I got it. You go and be with Grandma. At the funeral yesterday, I had the honor of, of preaching her funeral service. And five guys from my small group showed up to be there for me. I want to say it almost made me cry, but they will make fun of me for that, so I won't say it. There are little ways to show up. I have another friend. Her name is Kim. Kim is... I don't know, 25 years older than me and was one of my youth leaders growing up. And probably 20-ish years ago, before I went on a missions trip, our church invited us up front and they said, hey, if you will agree to pray for the students, just go stand behind someone. It was kind of meant to be for the next like two weeks and during the missions trip. And just by chance, Kim ended up behind me she's prayed for me almost every day for the last 25 years and at the funeral service yesterday she showed up it's been years since I've seen her she gave me a hug and said I'm just here to pray you through it find ways to show up for people whether it's it's making a meal in someone's time of need helping with carpool just praying for them and letting them know that you're praying for them find ways to show up Next, we need to forgive like we've been forgiven. We have been forgiven everything. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for the sins that I've already committed. He died for every sin I'm ever going to commit. I always have a path back to God through Jesus. He's been that example for me. I need to follow his example. In humility, I need to forgive and I need to seek forgiveness. And then finally, we 
need to see ourselves through God's eyes. A God that in Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That there's nothing I can do to earn God's love, but even better, there's nothing I have to do because he gives it to me freely. Would you all stand with me? We're gonna say a couple prayers and then Pastor Michael's gonna come out to close us out. If you would just bow your head and close your eyes. There's probably a group of people in here that you'd say, I'd love to be re-engaged in my relationship with God, but I've never engaged with him for the first time. And if that's you this morning and you don't have a relationship with God and you would like to, it is a free gift that is waiting for you. All you have to do is receive it. So if you would like to do that today, if you would like to begin your relationship with God, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? I see it. If you're here in the room or you're on the live stream and you want to begin that relationship, you can just pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I accept your free gift. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to make you Lord of my life and my Savior. Thank you for dying for me and help me to live for you. And if you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there's probably some of you that as I was speaking, you had a particular relationship in your mind. Could be your relationship with God, could be your relationship with a spouse or a friend that's damaged and you need it to be healed. Or maybe you find yourself in a place like I was a couple years ago where you just feel like you're drifting and you just need relationships in general. If that's you and you feel like you need to repair a relationship or re-engage in relationships, would you just lift your hand so that I can pray for you? I see them all over the room. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray for these people as they re-engage in relationship. Lord, if it's with you, that they would know that your love for them is unconditional. God, if they're mad at you for a thing that's happened to them, God, I pray that they would trust you to walk them back to a place of understanding and of trust. God, if they need to heal a relationship with a spouse or a friend that's been broken for whatever reason, God, I pray that you would give them the strength and courage to go to that person and begin to heal that relationship. Lord, and if they just need relationships in general, God, give them the courage to invite someone to lunch. God, to walk into someone's home for a small group. I pray that they would be greeted with love and relationship on the other side. God, we thank you for creating us to be in relationship with you and with others. God, give us the power and strength to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.